I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is Donald Trump putting into question the whole transatlantic relationship as we know it? Um, I would say yes, um, he is. Um, uh, Europeans need to take this very seriously. And um, I'm not entirely convinced that European leaders have done so, so far. Du lytter til Parlamentet, Altingets podcast om Europa. Je suis venu vous parler d'Europe. Das ist ein guter Tag für Deutschland und es ist ein guter Tag für Europa. Brexit means Brexit. Lige om lidt vil det gå op for folk, hvor kompliceret det her I dag blev meddelt den russiske ambassadør, at Danmark udviser to diplomater. Og Danmark har aldrig før udvist diplomater som reaktion på en hændelse i et andet land. Jep, sådan sagde udenrigsminister Anders Samuelsen, da Danmark i mandags fulgte med i en kollektiv masseudvisning af russiske diplomater fra Europa og Nordamerika. De her udvisninger, som sker på grund af et giftattentat på britisk jord, er faktisk lidt af en historisk begivenhed, uanset hvad man ellers mener om dem. Det vil jeg fortælle dig lidt mere om lige om lidt. Velkommen til denne uges europæiske podcast. Mit navn er Thomas Lauritsen. I anledning af påsken er det en lidt kortere version af podcasten i dag, men jeg vil ikke snyde dig for endnu et spændende interview i den her uge. Den her gang har jeg talt med en af Bruxelles førende politiske eksperter i forholdet mellem USA og Europa. Hun hedder Rosa Balfour. Hun arbejder for German Marshall Fund, og jeg har spurgt hende, hvad pokker Donald Trump har gang i med sine trusler om straftol og jeg ved ikke hvad, og hvordan Europa bør reagere. Du kan høre, hvad hun svarer lidt senere. Jeg vil også kaste et blik på det topmøde, som EU's chefer i mandags holdt sammen med Tyrkiets leder Recep Tayyip Erdogan i en by ved Sortehavet i Bulgarien. Kom der overhovedet noget ud af det? Nej, det gjorde der ikke. Hvorfor mødes de så? Det giver jeg dig et hurtigt bud på om nogle minutter. Ja, velkommen til de hårde leders trekant, kunne man sige. Europa mellem Erdogan, Trump og Putin. Lad os starte med Vladimir og raseriet over Rusland. Allerede under sidste uges EU-topmøde anklagede de forsamlede europæiske ledere Putins Rusland for at stå bag et morforsøg med nervegift. Det skete i Storbritannien i begyndelsen af marts, og ofrene var den tidligere russiske dobbeltagent Sergej Skripal og hans datter Julia. De er begge to stadig indlagt og i kritisk tilstand. Den britiske regering anklager den russiske stat for at være direkte indblandet, og det har udløst et voldsomt skænderi mellem London og Moskva. De to lande har udvist dusinvis af hinandens diplomater i de seneste uger, og nu støtter altså Danmark og en stor del af den vestlige verden britterne i den her diplomatiske krise. 
Hør lige, hvad EU-præsident Donald Tusk sagde om det i mandags. As a direct follow-up to last week's European Council decision to react to Russia within a common framework, already today 14 member states have decided to expel Russian diplomats. Additional measures, including further expulsions within the common EU framework, are not to be excluded in the coming days and weeks. Ja, Tusk talte her om 14 medlemslande, men allerede onsdag var tallet steget til 19. Og flere var måske på vej. Blandt de lande, der udviser, er blandt andet alle de største medlemslande og de nordiske lande i EU. I alt var det ved begyndelsen af den her uge blevet til over 100 russiske diplomater, og altså formodet efterretningsagenter, der er blevet smidt ud af vestlige lande. Donald Trumps USA alene udviser 60 russere, og lande som Kanada og Australien følger også trop. NATO har også annulleret akkrediteringen for en række russiske diplomater ved Ruslands mission til Forsvarsalliancen. Det kunne godt se ud som om den vestlige verden har fået nok af Putin. Men hvor længe holder det? Moskva afviser alle anklager og siger, at der ikke er det mindste bevis. Og det er altså også lige ved at bemærke, at det jo ikke er alle EU's medlemslande, der har udvist russere. Lande som Slovakiet, Slovenien og Portugal tøver. Bulgarien, der ellers er formandsland i EU lige nu, har tætte bånd til Rusland og vil ikke udvise nogen. Det samme gælder Østrig, hvor Frihedspartiet er gode venner med Putin. Både Grækenland, Kyberen og Malta har så mange russiske milliarder på spil, at de ikke skal have noget klinket. Så godt nok bliver der lige nu råbt højt af Putin, men den her nye krise risikerer også at splitte de europæiske lande. Og må ikke de satser Polinagtigt det i Kreml. Nå, men mens meldingerne om udviste russiske diplomater strømmede ind fra de europæiske hovedsteder, ja, så var EU's topchefer ved ugens begyndelse rejst til den bulgarske badby Varna, Sortehavets perle, som de bulgarske turistbyråer godt kan lide at kalde den. Det er jo Bulgariens regeringsleder Boyko Borisov, der har EU's formandskab for tiden. Og mens han altså personligt ikke skal nyde noget af at smide russere ud, så vil han til gengæld meget gerne tale med nabolandet Tyrkiet. Jeg ved ikke, om det er fordi, at Borisov tidligere har været professionel fodboldspiller, ligesom præsident Erdogan har, men i hvert fald vil de to gerne snakke med hinanden. Borisov havde inviteret Tyrkiets præsident til Varna i mandags, sammen med EU-kommissionens formand Jean-Claude og EU-præsident Donald Tusk. Det gik ikke så godt. Donald Tusk, der ellers også godt kan lide at spille fodbold, så vidt jeg ved, han tilbragte det meste af tiden med at fremføre kritik, som Erdogan absolut ikke gad høre på. Tusk sagde for eksempel sådan her. We understand Turkey's need to deal effectively with its security after the attempt and the terrorist attacks it has suffered. But we are concerned that some of the methods used undermine fundamental freedoms and the rule of law in Turkey. Som EU-præsidenten sagde, så er EU temmelig bekymret over, at præsident Erdogan til synlædende bliver ved med at bruge forrige års forsøg på et statskub i landet som undskyldning for at arrestere både politiske modstandere og journalister over en bred kamp. Og det er slet ikke det eneste problem, EU har med Erdogans regime. If you're asking me if, if we achieved uh, some solutions or compromises, my answer is no. What I can say is that 
I raised all our concerns. As you know, it was a long list, including the situation in, in Turkey regarding the rule of law and press freedom, Turkey's bilateral relations with our member states, and also the situation in, in Syria. Ja, listen bliver længere og længere, og det gør udsigten til tyrkisk medlemskab af EU så også. Retsstaten vakler, tyrkerne blander sig i EU-landet Kyberns planer om at bore efter naturgas i det østlige Middelhav, og Tyrkiets militær har angrebet kurdiske styrker i regionen Afrin i det nordvestlige Syrien, noget som EU synes er en rigtig dårlig idé. Alt det der kritiserede EU så endnu en gang, og præsident Erdogan svarede endnu en gang, at de har misforstået det hele. De skulle tage blandt sig udenom, og i stedet for at se at skynde sig og sende ham nogle flere milliarder til at holde styr på de syriske flygtninge i Tyrkiet. Dem er der snart 4 millioner af, sagde Erdogan, og mindede om, at hvis ikke han kan holde styr på dem, så kommer de jo nok til Europa. Og det var så det. Bolden trillede tilbage igen til Juncker og Tusk. Og de kunne ikke rigtig gøre andet end at stå der i Sortehavets perle, sammen med Borisov for Erdogan og trykke hænder og se suger ud. Men hvorfor kom de så overhovedet? Og hvorfor kom Erdogan for den sags skyld? Kan jeg høre jer spørge? Tja, EU-chefer kan ikke holde til at ryste den aftale med tyrkerne, der er det eneste boldværk mod en ny strøm af flygtninge til Europa. Så hellere sende ham 3 milliarder euro mere, sluge et par rigtig store kameler og krydse fingre. Og Erdogan, hvad har han så brug for? Tror han stadig på, at Tyrkiet en dag bliver medlem af EU? Nej, nej da. Det er længe siden, han var interesseret i det. Men sandheden er, at Tyrkiets økonomi ikke kan hænge sammen uden EU. Halvdelen af den tyrkiske eksport går til EU. Det er fem gange så meget som til tyrkernes næststørste handelspartner, Kina. To tredjedele af alle udenlandske investeringer i Tyrkiet kommer fra EU, og de tyrkiske virksomheder er dybt afhængige af lån fra europæiske banker. Derfor bliver Bruxelles og Ankara ved med at mødes og skille ud og trykke hænder, og derfor kommer der stort set ikke noget ud af det. Heller ikke denne gang. Ja, det var så Putin, og det var så Erdogan. Hvem mangler vi så nu for sådan at tegne billedet af EU's omgivelser lige nu? Færdigt. Rigtigt. Donald Trump. Lige siden han kom til magten i Washington, har de europæiske ledere løbet for skrækket rundt og håbet på, at det ikke vil gå helt galt med forholdet over Atlanten. Trump er tydeligvis ikke nogen fan af EU. Det er ikke engang sikkert, at han er særlig vild med NATO. Men det er svært at finde ud af, hvad han egentlig mener, når han siger noget, den amerikanske præsident, eller tweeter noget, eller hvad han nu gør. Sådan er det også med Trumps beslutning om at lægge en ordentlig straftol på import af stål og aluminium til USA. Det var mildestalt uklart, om den tol også vil ramme varer fra EU, som i parentes bemærket er langt den største handelspartner i verden for USA. Under sidste uges EU-topmøde sad de 28 landes ledere og ventede og ventede på, om den amerikanske præsident måtte ville starte en handelskrig, eller hvad han ville. Og de fik ligesom ikke rigtig noget at vide. Ikke engang på Twitter. På et eller andet tidspunkt sivede det så, så nærmest ud af Washington, at EU er undtaget Trumps straftol. Måske. I hvert fald indtil 1. maj. Og så kommer det ligesom an på, hvad EU kan tilbyde indtil dag, om der kommer straftol eller ej. Ingen ved, hvad det så er, der nu skal forhandles med Trump, og hvad betingelserne er for at undgå en åben handelskrig mellem de to største handelspartnere på jordkloden. 
Det er jo en ny måde at klare tingene på hen over Atlanten, må man sige. Jeg ved ikke, hvordan du har det, men jeg er rimelig paf over, hvad det er, Donald Trump har gang i. Altså, når det gælder forholdet til USA's traditionelt vigtigste allierede her i Europa. Derfor har jeg taget fat i en af dem, der bruger rigtig meget tid på at forske i forholdet mellem USA og Europa. Hun hedder Rosa Balfour. Hun er seniorforsker og projektleder hos den transatlantiske tænketank German Marshall Fund her i Bruxelles. Efter sidste uges EU-topmøde og midt i uvidsheden om, hvad Trump egentlig vil med Europa, spurgte jeg britisk-italienske Rosa Balfour, hvad hun tror, der foregår. Hun var faktisk optaget af andet og mere end handel, som for eksempel udnævnelsen af USA's nye nationale sikkerhedsrådgiver John Bolton, og hvad det kan betyde for den amerikanske udenrigs- og sikkerhedspolitik og for EU, ikke mindst i forhold til Iran. Det er ugens interview, og det kommer her. Hi Rosa, welcome to our podcast. Hello. Um, Trump, uh, Donald Trump had 28 EU leaders waiting sort of halfway through the night during the EU summit last Thursday and Friday. Uh, they didn't know if he was going to include EU in the tariffs on steel and aluminium. Uh, and only the next day they learned more or less uh, that the EU is probably exempted until May 1st, depending on negotiations that we don't really know yet what will be. Uh, I heard the French president and also my prime minister, the Danish prime minister, say afterwards that we are not going to negotiate at gunpoint, which is very strong language. Do you think that's what Donald Trump is doing? Does he want to put a trade gun to the head of the EU? It's it's very difficult to read Donald Trump's mind. And I think the the question that we should ask ourselves is which battle is he going to pick next? Yeah. Um, the um, clearly he feels very at ease in um, pushing for trade wars. It's where his transactionalist instinct can come through, where he can pursue zero-sum games. Uh, in this case, at this point, mm. it appears that he has pinpointed China um, as the enemy rather than Europe or the EU or Germany. Um, but this could change. This could yeah. change uh, after the 1st of May. It could change um, on other issues as well. It might mm. not necessarily be a trade battle that he might pick mm. with the EU. Um, clearly, we've had plenty of signs that he's not particularly interested um, in the European Union, how it functions, the role it plays globally. Um, so, so we can definitely say that this is the end of the era of U.S. benevolence towards European mm. Union integration. Uh, but it, it's not entirely sure what area um, he will mm. pick and whether Europe will actually be at the top of its priority list. Because at mm. the moment, it looks like China and Asia have been mm. have been attracting more of his attention. Mm. Do you think he has any kind of particular goal uh, when it comes to uh, to Europe? Uh, because it seems very disruptive, many of the things that he's been saying also about Europe. Well, I would say, I mean, it's the disruption and unpredictability. Mm. That's what he pursues rather than, um, you know, rather than having a very clear 
vision of the mm. world. Mm. It's, disrupt, it's disruption, uh, divisiveness in order to, um, for, for, for the US to thrive in his view. So that mm. is his priority. Everything else needs to be interpreted mm. or understood in light of that. So um, he's a nationalist, of course, mm. um, but he's not really interested um, in Europe. What he's interested in, in is making sure that it appears that what he's doing is in the mold of making America great mm. again, the America first yeah. uh, policy, um, which means that um, if one looks elsewhere, one needs to think that that is the objective. And then, you know, the area he could address in order to reach that objective can vary. It can be, mm. as I said, Asia, uh, generally, North Korea, China, Iran, mm. uh, immigration, mm. Mexico, Canada. It could be anything, really, mm. um, we, uh, including Europe, of course. Yeah. Um. Well, America and Europe, of course, have had disagreements in the past as well. Um, but is this something different that we're seeing? Um, because I think that's one of the questions that has to be asked now. Is Donald Trump putting into question the whole transatlantic relationship as we know it? Um, I would say yes, um, he is. Um, we need to see basically if he has a second term or not and what lasting impact this will have. Uh, Europeans need to take this very seriously. And um, I'm not entirely convinced that European leaders have done so, so far. Um, so I think the, the what happened last week really was a wake-up call, mm. um, that Europeans need to be far more united, need to think through all possible policy implications of decisions that might come from Washington in the middle of the night mm. um, and they really need to uh, be prepared um, which means strengthening internal resilience strengthening internal solidarity um, because the, the 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 area in question could could come you know as I said it could really be anything mm. in terms of policy um, now uh, in terms of lasting impact let's not forget that the the intensity of transatlantic relations is great from the economic point of view, from the cultural point of view, um, there is no other continent with which Americans have greater relations and vice versa. Um, so the big trend is not going to be altered overnight. Um, uh, but of course, um, perhaps one needs to prepare a bit for diversification. Um, the other thing is that there aren't any obvious alternative allies out there for Europeans um, apart from you know Canada and other like-minded countries, um, so it is very much. It really is a question of focusing very much on um, on um, strengthening internal resilience and solidarity. Mm. This said, I think it will be in the European interest to try and protect the transatlantic relationship as much as possible, mm -hmm. um, because Trump may not last more than one term, uh, and precisely because of the interconnections being mm. so deep. Uh, so Europeans should always have uh, a friendly hand, offer a friendly hand um, to uh, the US, um, and strengthen ties with other parts of America, states, for instance, citizens. Um, so, so the, the you know the relations go mm. deeper than mm. who's at the helm of a country. Uh, another thing that that seems to have been a hope uh, for a while, at least here in Brussels, was that Donald Trump would be surrounded by a team where at least some of 
the high-profile people in the administration would be more moderate, uh, more understanding of, of uh, the importance of the transatlantic relations, etc. Um, but now it seems like most of those people are gone, uh, more or less been sacked by, by Trump. And last week we saw the appointment of John Bolton as uh, the new national security advisor. He's known as a hawk. Um, what do you think that signals from for Europe? Yeah, no, I think when Trump was initially elected, the world was divided between the normalizers and the apo- those who believed in the apocalypse. Um, and initially, it looked like some form of normalization was going to take place because of uh, the ability of American institutions to rein in the more extreme um, aspects of the of uh, of Trump's ideas. Um, and again, as you said, the people he surrounded himself with. But at the moment. Um, these are out. And mm. yes, we have John Bolton, who probably really is Trumpian in his beliefs. I mean, he was um, US ambassador to the UN during um, the Bush period. So we've known him as a hawk, as an anti-UN, mm. um, with a very strong anti-UN instinct. And he doesn't like the EU. Either. And he doesn't like the EU. He really loathes the EU, actually, and multi, multi um, uh, international institutions and uh, um, European integration. So we should be ver- take this appointment very, very seriously. But it also can mean that perhaps the next major fallout will not be on trade, but it could be on international politics. That's something else that one needs to What could look that be, for. do you think? Iran, I think. Mm. Um, the uh, the advisors, Trump's advisors, you know, to show restraint towards Iran and the commitments that the US made during the Obama time, those advisors are no longer there. And um, it could well be that the US withdraws from the agreement with Iran. The EU has been lobbying to put this moment off, to postpone it indefinitely, um, and has actually been rather successful at doing that so far. Um, but at this point, it seems it's, it seems difficult to imagine who they could lobby in Washington to make sure that the Americans stay um, in the agreement with in the Iran deal. Mm. Um, so that could well be the next area of major tensions. And this is where the US and Europe are fundamentally split um, over Iran. Mm. So, so basically what you're saying is that we don't know. I mean, it's not predictable what the next area uh, of disruption or disagreement with the Americans will be. No, I mean, the pattern really is had that we've seen so far... Um, has been, you know, choosing, picking areas of it for intervention, which happens in a rather erratic um, way um, from following. This is anecdotal evidence, but watching Fox News seems Mm. to trigger Trump, (laughs) tweets trigger him. Um, So it's not it's not really uh, it's not as if there's a sort of political program that he's putting into place. There are a number of. Um, quite um, outlandish remarks made here and there, which, um, and then all of a sudden he wakes up on one issue and then the next day on mm. another. So it's really very unpredictable. Mm. This doesn't mean, I mean, for the, in, the con- in the context of the trade crisis, the EU was prepared. It had already its list of areas for retaliation. It had already been carried out, carrying out diplomacy in Washington. And I would say that, it, again, it was actually rather successful. 
But it does mean that the EU needs to prepare itself on several fronts and not just on one. Mm. Uh, because you never know where the next, um, where, mm. where, and when the next issue will come up. So, do you think the fact that the EU clearly showed that it was prepared to mm. retaliate if necessary, and that the Trade mm. Commissioner, Mrs. Malmstrom, went over there, and did that had an impact? I'm, I'm not sure the threat of retaliation had much of an impact, but I do think the diplomacy did. Um, and the fact that uh, Cecilia Malmstrom managed to talk to. Um, Uh, several people in Washington, I think that was, again, um, quite, quite, you know, an, uh, yes, mm. it, 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 you know, at least even if Trump is not listening, there are other people who will listen. Let's not forget the EU is the largest trade bloc in the world. Um, so it does have some arguments, but um, that it can pursue. It does have some power of persuasion. Um, we'll see. We'll see how far... Mm. Um, it can go. Um, I think the real problem is with the EU is uh, not so much its ability to project externally. It's really its ability to maintain that position over time. Um, And stand united. Exactly. Mm. So uh, that's the real weakness that the EU has. Um, and then on the trade front um, and on other political issues, obviously in security terms, the EU is very weak. Mm. Um, so if... Uh, Uh, and that's another area that one needs to sort of, when, you know, weighing the pros and cons of uh, the type of strategy that the mm. EU should adapt vis-a-vis -vis the US. Ultimately, in security terms, the EU is dependent on the US. And mm. therefore, even if it might have harsh words in certain areas, it needs to compensate, shall we say, um, with um, efforts to reach out, to talk, to keep the conversation Um, open mm. with the Americans because ultimately, yes, mm. the, we need the US for the defense of European territory. And these are not easy times. Mm. Um, Do you think that President Trump is somebody who might find it interesting to try and split the EU up? I think, that, I think yes, he has been doing that. He did mm. that immediately soon after he was elected he, um, with Britain, for instance, offering a preferential trade deal to Britain, which uh, he then stepped back on that commitment. So he has shown signs of that. I think the question is, to what extent is he really interested in dividing Europe or to what extent is he more interested in uh, um, in rebalancing re the economic relationship with China? Mm. Uh, so it's really a question of to what extent will Europe actually be his priority? Mm. And I think so far we've... Uh, Europeans have benefited from the fact that actually Europe was not number one priority. So we had the first the, the, the NATO summit last year. Mm. That was the big test case where all the European leaders were waiting for Trump to hear Trump's commitment. It didn't come, but nothing, it, nor did a disaster mm. uh, come about. Um, but since then, maybe Europe hasn't been the top of his, you mm. know, attention. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But even if he picks a trade war with China, there will be implications for Europe as well. Yeah. And then here, if if Washington asks Brussels to support its policies towards China, that will be difficult. So whatever Trump chooses, whichever line he chooses, mm. Europeans need to be prepared. And they need to be prepared to stand together. They need to be prepared to stand together. And that really is where internal diplomacy amongst members, EU member states needs to be carried out. And that's crucial. 
Um, and secondly, I think they need to have this two-pronged strategy of being tough and, and standing by their their commitments, their principles, but at the same time keeping the door open to talk with the US, with Americans, not just with the presidency, um, uh, to make sure that, to, to contain in a way, um, ne- possible negative impacts of Trump's presidency on global governance in general. Europa skal stå sammen for at give modstand til Donald Trump, men vi skal samtidig holde døren åben for et andet Amerika, og ikke lade den her mand i det hvide hus ødelægge hele det internationale system, som USA selv har været med til at bygge op gennem generationer. Det var budskabet fra Rosa Balfour, seniorforsker i den store transatlantiske tænketank German Marshall Fund. Tak til hende. Kære venner, det var, hvad jeg havde til jer i denne uge. Nu er der sådan set kun tilbage, og ønsker jer alle sammen en god påske. Podcasten holder påskeferie i næste uge, men den er tilbage igen ugen efter. Med mere nyt om EU og verden omkring os, og mere analyse af europæisk og dansk politik. Nyd dine fridage, hvis du har dem. Det vil jeg i hvert fald gøre. Vores podcast er produceret med mediestøtte fra Europaparlamentet, men altinget har det fulde ansvar for programmets indhold. Ansvarshavende redaktør er Jakob Nielsen, producer er Henrik Axel Bugter, og mit navn er Thomas Lauritsen. Tak for i dag. Lyt med igen i næste uge her i Parlamentet, hvor altinget taler om Europa.